When I was a child, my parents had a vegetable garden in the backyard, and they grew things like tomatoes and zucchini and peas. And I remember that there was a utility pole kind of in the back corner of our property, and we had utility lines going across our backyard, and they, they went right over the garden. And I remember my mom's particular frustration watching a squirrel sit on the utility line, eat the peas out of the pod, and then simply drop the pod when it was done. So we had plenty of competition when it came to harvesting the vegetables in our garden. I was thinking about those adventures in gardening as I was reading our gospel passage from the 13th chapter of Matthew. And as we read this parable, as we just did, we find the adventure here is not about who will harvest, but rather about whether the seeds will even get a chance to grow and produce anything. There's a number of obstacles in their way. And when we read Jesus's explanation of the parable, we find that some of those same issues are with us today. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. And to turn to Matthew chapter 13, uh, the parable begins in verse 3, Matthew 13, 3. So Jesus tells the crowds he's speaking to, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. Now, the first thing that strikes me about this is that the sower is not being very careful with his seeds. Unlike today, I think about these giant farms and how they have these specially designed seeds um, that are put in specially formulated soil so they get the greatest yields from their seeds. But this farmer seems to just let the seeds fall where they may. He apparently has an endless supply of seed, and so he lets it fall on the path, on the rocky ground, and even among thorns. Well, the birds would definitely be happy when they saw this farmer coming down the path because they would just eat up the seeds that he would drop on the path. As for the rocky ground, well, the seeds didn't have much soil there, and so they sprang up quickly, but then when the sun came up, it scorched them, and they didn't have any roots, so they just simply withered away. And then seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Maybe some of you who spend a lot of time weeding in your gardens can appreciate how those thorns can choke the plants. Finally, we read that other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. And then Jesus said, let anyone with ears listen. Now there were great crowds listening to Jesus, but many of them did not understand what he was talking about. And probably many of us here today don't understand what he's talking about either. 
Jesus was not giving a talk as a master gardener, but rather he was imparting spiritual truth. Later on, he explained to his disciples what his parable meant. So if we skip down to verse 18, we find Jesus saying, Hear then the parable of the sower. And then bit by bit, he begins to explain it. So we're going to walk through his explanation together. First, you'll remember that there was seed that fell on the path that was eaten up by the birds. In his explanation of that, Jesus says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. So the first thing that Jesus reveals here, which is very important, is that the seed that is being sown was the word of the kingdom. You may remember that when Jesus sent his disciples out to do ministry, he told them, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So the word of the kingdom was that the kingdom of God had come near in the person of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, of course, is who the disciples would come in time to understand is the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah, and the Savior of the world. But simply hearing these words was not enough to save them. They needed to understand it. The evil one, that is the devil or Satan, the enemy of our souls, does not want people to comprehend who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And so when someone hears the good news but does not understand it and cannot accept it, in Jesus' words, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. Why? Because the evil one is opposed to God and his kingdom. He instead is for hell, death, and destruction. Now, I know that it's not really trendy to talk about the devil, and much has been written to deny and downplay the existence of the devil or any kind of evil spiritual being, but we have to wrestle with the fact that the same Gospels that bear witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ also tell us about Jesus' encounters with the devil and what Jesus had to say about him. Now, to be clear, the devil is no match for God, not even close. He's a created being. But he is a powerful force compared to human beings. Jesus warns us that the evil one is eager to snatch away the word of God sown in the hearts of those who do not understand it. And so given this, I think it's worth our asking, do we understand? Do we know what the good news is? Do we understand it? Are we taking the time? Are we making the effort 
to find out. The good news is nothing less than the reality that men and women who are lost to sin, death, and eternal destruction are offered new life, new hope, eternal life, eternal hope through God's love and mercy that we find in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes the sinner righteous, and he brings the dead to life. The good news is also the promise of the Holy Spirit and his presence dwelling in those who follow Jesus, making them sons and daughters of God, as we heard in our reading from Romans today, that we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit also makes followers of Jesus holy temples of the living God. Now, I realize there's a lot to unpack here, and it does take time, but let us love one another and love God enough to take the time. Let's take the time to come to a deeper understanding of the gospel and to share that with one another. That's not just going to be in coming to church and listening to sermons. That's going to have to involve doing some reading the Bible and studying of our own. Let's also seek opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others as the Holy Spirit leads us. And when we do, let's do everything we can to help them with their understanding making a commitment to them, to follow up with them, to listen to their questions patiently, to provide them with resources like a Bible, to pray for them, maybe invite them to an Alpha course or invite them to church where they can learn more. Let's not give the enemy any chance to snatch what has been sown into our hearts, but let us be diligent about seeking understanding of the gospel and sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. In verse 20, Jesus moves on to the seed sown on the rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. When we see someone embrace the gospel with joy, we cannot help but be overjoyed ourselves. It is always exciting to witness someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But verses 20 and 21 are a sobering reminder that we are called not simply to say yes to Jesus once, but we are called to endure, to say yes to Jesus every day, both in good times and in hard times. I have heard people express frustration because they have found that their life seems more difficult once they begin to follow Jesus. 
But Jesus never promised an easy, carefree life to his disciples. In fact, he told them, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. He told them, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In order for our faith to survive in the long term, we must become rooted in Jesus. You've probably noticed in the past few years that we have had some serious windstorms come through this area, and we have seen a lot of trees fall that had to be um, chopped up afterwards and, and moved out of the way. And yet there are trees still standing next to those ones that have fallen down. Now, there are a number of factors at play about whether a tree can withstand high winds, but the most critical factor, according to scientists, is an extensive, healthy root system. That is the tree's best protection. Likewise, the more rooted we are in Jesus, the more likely we will be able to withstand trouble and persecution when it inevitably does come our way. How do we get rooted in Jesus? By spending time with him, by praying, going on walks with him, reading his word, singing to him, worshiping, fellowship, fellowshipping with other believers, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. All of this can deepen our spiritual roots and ready us for whatever comes next. Because when it does, we won't be relying on our own strength, but we'll be relying on his strength and his power, and his grace, and his spirit, rather than our own, because we're rooted in him. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like Paul, our identity and our new life is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is nothing we will ever have to face without him. In him, we are secure. In verse 23, Jesus discusses the seed sown among thorns. He says, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. The cares of the world. Oh, to be free of the cares of the world. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yes, the cares of the world and the lure of wealth are powerful forces. We are tempted daily 
to focus on our worries, to focus on money and material things rather than focusing our hearts and minds on Christ. Jesus spoke about this struggle at length in his Sermon on the Mount, warning that no one can serve two masters. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and wealth. He also asked, why do we worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear? Because our Heavenly Father already knows that we need these things. Jesus said, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Our focus is to remain on the Lord. And trust me when I say I understand how difficult this struggle is. The key to it, I believe, comes down to remembering who we are in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. And we can trust God in all circumstances, no matter what it is we are facing. The love and mercy and faithfulness of God are greater than any financial amount. And they're also greater than any obstacles we face, even including sickness and death. Because even in the face of sickness and death, we can be assured that we will not be abandoned, but we remain secure in Jesus and his righteousness. And that brings us, friends, to verse 23, where Jesus completes his explanation of this parable. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in one case sixty, and in another thirty. This is the promised land. This is where we all want to be, in the good soil. Those in the good soil have understood and received the good news. They have taken the time and made the effort to pursue the truth and understand it. But even beyond understanding, they have come to know Jesus, and they are personally rooted in him. With a desire to truly know the Lord, to connect with him, they speak to him daily, they worship him, they allow the Holy Spirit to reorient their lives so their focus is on him. With this understanding and rootedness in Christ, they are prepared when the storms of life come to them. They still live in this world, and they still face troubles, but rather than allowing the cares of this world to choke out their faith, their difficulties actually cause them to rely even more deeply on the Lord because they seek him in times of trouble, knowing that he is faithful and he will provide. They put their trust in the abundant life found in Christ 
rather than in the false promises of this world and its material wealth, which will crumble and fade away. And then an amazing thing happens. As followers of Jesus make him and the kingdom of God their priority, they naturally begin to bear fruit. And what exactly does it mean to bear fruit as followers of Christ? Well, there are the fruits of righteousness, which are simply those good things that the Lord is calling us to do as we love our neighbors as ourselves. That can look like a lot of things. It can look like letting go of a resentment and forgiving someone. It can involve yard work or housework or creating a meal for someone who needs our help. It might mean calling or visiting someone that we know is lonely and encouraging them. And then naturally flowing out of that fruit of righteousness is the fruit that multiplies sharing the good news and making disciples. Just like the fruits and vegetables that we harvest from our gardens contain seeds for reproduction, the disciples of Jesus have seeds of the kingdom inside of them. We can produce fruit that can produce fruit, or put another way, we can make disciples who make disciples. And this is where we see the yields of a hundredfold and sixtyfold and thirtyfold. This is how the kingdom of God grows exponentially with fruit that bears fruit that bears fruit. And this is how the good news of God's kingdom has reached even you and me in the 21st century, two millennia after Jesus told the parable of the sower. Now, can we just admit that the parable of the sower starts out kind of bleak? The birds gobble up the seed, the sun scorches the rootless plants, the thorns choke the plants. Sowing the seeds of the kingdom appears at first to be a fruitless task. And many Christians feel exactly that way today as we live in this culture that seems increasingly hostile to the gospel. But the parable ends with great hope. Even if only a fraction of the seas fall on the good soil, they produce abundantly and exponentially even with every obstacle in place, with the evil one intent on interfering with God's plan of salvation, we can be sure that the seeds of God's kingdom will grow and produce fruit, creating disciples for this generation and for the generations to come. I would like to end this morning by reading a promise that we find in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, which we heard this morning. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So my brothers and sisters, let us go out into the world sowing the seeds of God's kingdom, confident that the word of God will accomplish God's purposes and bear much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen.